Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Luke chapter 6, God has me going back to some very important teachings that we have taught over the years in our church, significant to what we need to walk in as God's children, and we are talking about living the life of a disciple. Great time to be reminded what that is, great time to be reminded why it's so important, as well as how we do this, because no matter where you are in your walk with God, if you are at the discipleship stage, what got you there is what will keep you there. And so it's kind of like you think in relationship to what people do in the natural. Take uh, any athlete, for example, which I use this example a lot, easy to understand. Doesn't matter how good they are, a professional athlete in relationship to whatever they do. Guess what they keep doing? Training, doing the same thing over and over and over again. Back to the batting cage, right? Out to the field, you know, throw that ball again and again, receivers, whatever, receiving it over and over. Why? Because that's how you maintain what you've learned and what to walk in. Amen? So I want to understand clearly from Scripture what we need to know about living the life of a disciple. That's the goal. That's what God had for us. I'm going to pick it up in Luke chapter 6, a couple verses to go over with you real quick. We've already revealed to you, and I'm not going to go back there tonight, of the heart of Matthew 28, 18 and 19, especially verse 19. Jesus told us, to go into all the world and to make disciples of every, every single type of ethnic group, every type of person that's out there. So if we're supposed to go make disciples, guess what that means? We're supposed to be one. That's, right. that's the goal. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said a disciple, say a disciple. Right. Notice this. A disciple's not what? Above his teacher. He's not going to you know, overtake what his teacher is. Underline this though. But everyone who is perfectly trained... Come on, will be like his teacher. Everyone who is what? Perfectly trained. What will he be? Like his teacher. So perfectly trained means to be completely equipped or developed or matured as a believer. A disciple, one translation puts it this way, will resemble his teacher. Clearly that should be our goal to be those who look like Jesus everywhere we go. We should be little Jesuses walking all over the planet. So the term disciple here, I want to use the Hebrew word for it because it's referred to in relationship to the heart of understanding what a disciple is. The Hebrew word is Talmud, which means it stresses the importance of relationship between the master and the student. This is a key to understanding becoming a disciple of Jesus. If you, I've told so many people this recently in different conversations with people in our church and even outside of our church. Look at anybody as it relates to their walk with God. Anybody as it relates to what they actually walk in light in the light of as a relationship to God. Do they truly walk by faith? Do they, you know, isn't it interesting that Jesus made a statement, when I return, will I really find faith on the earth? What a question. But he asked it. Now I think he will. I truly believe he will. But I'm just telling you, uh, relationship to people walking by faith, people walking in victory, people walking in the benefit of the life that Jesus provided for them, guess what it always comes back to as to whether or not they're really doing that successfully or not. You ready? Relationship. It's relationship. 
If you have a poor relationship with God, your attendance in church will be poor. If you have a poor relationship with God, your time in the Word will be poor. Because everything that has to do with God, if I desire that relationship with God, guess what? I'm going to do everything it takes to draw that relationship and that I have opportunity with God to draw that relationship and relationship to my life even closer. And therefore, I'm going, to inv- I'm going to provide every element in my life to make that possible. It's really simple because if God himself obviously has opened the door for me to have a relationship with him and I want to have that relationship. I know people that say I don't need church to do that. The Bible says otherwise. I don't need a Bible to do that. The Bible says otherwise. Well, the disciples didn't have a Bible. Are you kidding me? They had a walking Bible. His name was Jesus. They got to walk with the Bible three and a half years. He could quote the Bible forward and backward, tell you everything about it. He, he confounded the teachers of his day because he knew the scriptures so well. So you got to realize, folks, that the whole aspect of what understanding a disciple is all about is relationship. If you don't have a heart hunger for God, what I'm teaching you will truly not become a part of your life. But it's what God wants for all of us, and I'm going to show you why more tonight. Part of what's found clearly in this verse is, why would God want us to be a disciple? To be like our teacher, to resemble our teacher. So if I resemble my teacher, let's just stop and take a moment and think about Jesus for a minute. Did Jesus have any issues within life that he himself allowed to burden him down with? Was he fearful? Was he stressed? Nope. Did he allow what people said about him to bother him? Nope. Well, why do we? Why do we? Because we're not walking as a disciple, but we can. Now, when people say, I just don't believe that's possible. Paul did it. The apostle Paul did it. Peter did it. John did it. Come on, John got bold and old, throw it on the Alapatimus. Didn't let it bother him a bit. He kept walking with God. He got the book of Revelation while he was on that island. See, a lot of people think that you can't do that. Many in the Bible have proven that you can. And that's the goal. The goal is to be a disciple. But I want to emphasize again, just the word disciple itself puts an emphasis upon or a stress upon the relationship, say relationship, between master and student. If you don't develop a close relationship with the Lord or have a heart to, you're not going to become a disciple. It's just that simple because it's all about relationship. I use some examples, you know, uh, on Sunday about this, but I use an example in my life. I wanted to be at the age of 13 after I got on the back of my first bull, got all the air knocked out of me and felt like I was going to die and got my wind back. I said, told my dad, it's what I want to do. I want to be a professional bull rider. But you know what? For years, I had no ability to connect with anybody that was good to be able to help me out. All I had was others that were as bad as I was. We were the blind leading the blind. The verse right before this even tells you that. If the blind lead the blind, where are they going to wind up at? In a ditch. Guess where I was bull riding wise? I was in a ditch. But I finally found somebody who was willing to help me. Aren't you glad Jesus is willing to make a disciple out of you? I said, aren't you glad Jesus is willing to make a disciple out of you? Every one of us. So I finally found somebody that would help me do that, would take me under his wing, become a, become a bull rider that I wanted to become. And he was good at it, man. So guess what I did? I developed a relationship with him. To develop a relationship with him, guess what I had to do? Get rid of other relationships. You listening? I had to get rid of other relationships. Why? Because I couldn't spend all the time I was spending with these other guys and spend the time I wanted to spend with him to get good at bull riding. I had to change things that I was doing. I had to lay down things I wanted to do to go do things he wanted to do. You listening? And if you don't do this with Jesus, you won't become a disciple. So the second context of the word Talmud emphasizes the willingness that one must give up of their life to become a disciple. You can't live life your way and become a disciple of Jesus. You still with me? 
I didn't say you have to drop everything you're doing. I said you can't live life your way. You, you can't live out life the way you see it, the way you think it works, or how you think you should serve God. You know what? The Bible's clear. God doesn't change. We don't serve God the way we want to. We serve, way, we serve God the way he said to. Now, in the New Testament, how do we serve God? Real simple, as I'm about to show you. We ditch the old thought of who we used to be. We get rid of our focus on that old nature, and we start renewing our minds to the new guy on the inside. It's not us trying to change from the outside in. It's us learning to change from the inside out. It's us learning about this new man. But to do that, we got to also deal with the outer man, because if we don't, Guess what he's going to do? He's going to keep us away from renewing our minds. If you fall to your flesh, you won't come to church. You won't read your Bible. You won't learn to pray. You won't learn to seek God. Why? The Bible says in your flesh there's nothing good that dwells. If you just follow what your flesh wants. See, it doesn't mean that all the things of what your flesh wants are bad. Your flesh wants food. How many of you learned that fast in three days this last week? Your, you know, your flesh wants food. But you know what? Your spirit in control of that doesn't just let your flesh take over and get whatever it wants. If you're smart. You listening? So it doesn't mean we ditch everything of what our flesh desires. It just means if you let the flesh go on its own and rule you, it won't lead you in a good direction. It's going to lead you in a thing that's obviously clear, which is what the Bible calls corruption. So to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. I'm done with corruption. How about you? I don't want more of it in my life. I want less. I mean, you know, Jesus didn't have it. He did not have things corrupting his life. So again, verse 40 is clear. A teacher isn't a, a, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained, or in other words, completely equipped, who truly develops that relationship and learns how to be a disciple, what will he be? Like his teacher. Go to Matthew 16. We already covered these verses. I'm just kind of reiterating what we've already looked at. Matthew 16. The cool part about this to me when I got born again was realizing, wow, I can be a disciple of Jesus. That just blew me away. I can become like Jesus. I can think like him. I can talk like him. I can do things he's done. And I've done it. I've seen the dead raised. I've actually seen uh, people healed of terminal diseases. I've seen people born again and set free from darkness. I've seen people filled with the Holy Ghost. I've seen all the things that Jesus did with his disciples. I've seen those things working into my life. It's a great way to live. I said, it's a great way to live. Am I going to get any good amens on that? It's a great way to live. Living like Jesus? Living like Jesus? Wow. That's a great way to live. So what do we got to do? Understand what it means to live the life of a disciple. Matthew 16 Plugs us into some major clues here. Matthew 16, one one verse tonight, 24. If anyone desires, Jesus said. So Jesus said to his disciples here, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. God can't do that for you. I can't do that for you. Wish I could. Wouldn't it be cool if you could do that for people? But you can't. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and do what? Follow me. Let me walk you through four things we touched on on Sunday. So these are four aspects of what we see Jesus declared is necessary to become a disciple. Number one, a disciple what? A disciple desires to be like Jesus. First and foremost. First thing he said out of his mouth. If anyone desires to come after me. Now if you'll look that up in the Greek actual wording there of the original Greek language, you know what it says in the Greek? If anyone desires to become my disciple. 
So it actually says it right there in the Greek language. If anyone desires to become my disciple. Coming after him is becoming his disciple. But what do I got to have? The desire. I got to have the desire. What I've learned a long time ago and I will no longer frustrate myself with is I can't make a disciple out of anybody that does not desire to be a disciple of Jesus. God himself can't do it. Why in the world for so many years I thought I could, I don't know. Other than I was deceived to think I could, but I can't. You know what I'm looking for? People with that desire. If you're one with that desire, I'll help you in every way to become a disciple. If you're not, sorry, love you. I'll preach the word to you publicly like everybody else, but I won't waste a bunch of time on you knowing that you're not desiring to do that. Why would I? My goal is to fulfill Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of all people. If I had somebody that doesn't want to be, that's like somebody who, like in context of bull riding, after I got good, became a professional, I actually did bull riding schools. And these young guys would come and learn from me. I'd say, listen, I'm not teaching you theory, just like as a pastor, I tell you this now from the pulpit. I tell these guys, I'm not teaching you theory, teaching you what works. I know what works. I've learned. I've learned in my personal life. I've learned how to be able to actually learn the basics and the key things you need to know. Everything from equipment to what you got to know about positioning on a bull, etc. I know all about the basics, both from my experience as well as professionals that I've gotten to know. And I'm telling you, I'm a teacher. I'm a gifted teacher. Little did I know at the time, although we did some schools even after I started pastoring, uh, you know, that God had called me to pastor. But I said, I can teach you. I can show you how. But here's the deal. You got to do it my way. And if you're not willing to do it my way, which is not my way, it's the way, it's the way of success. If you want to do it your way, you're not going to be successful. Not going to work. But if you'll do it my way, if you'll listen to what I tell you, if you'll correct what I tell you to correct. See, this is what people don't get about discipleship. If you were already doing everything right, you wouldn't need anybody to disciple you. And discipleship means there's got to be some correction along the way. You're not doing this right, guys. I'd show them. You're, you're getting that hunch in your back. You need to straighten your back up. You need to get off your bull more. You need to get that weight up on the inside of your legs. You need to actually recognize the importance of what you're doing in position coming out of the chute. You've got to understand chute routine. You've got to know how to get on that bull. You've got to know how to get out of there. You've got to know what your equipment is. You've got to know how your equipment works, you know. I learned from Charlie Sampson, who's a good friend of mine. I still help Charlie with a lot of stuff. We actually went out to Ted Noose's place the other day, who he traveled with, both of them world champion bull riders, and we did some video work for Charlie out there. I did. And uh, Charlie, I don't deal with young bull riders anymore. Charlie does. He said, these young bull riders today, they don't want to even talk about equipment. They just want to get on a bull. They just want to get a video, get on a bull, so they can go on TikTok and post their video. <laughs> Serious. Yeah. So that's all they want to do. I said, these boys are going to get hurt. So you telling me? He said, they don't want to take the time to learn equipment. What type of rope do they need? What type of length do they need? What do their spurs need to be like? See, this is all part of what's going to make you a success or a failure. Are you still here? Are you born? Are, are you bored? What, what are you talking about, Pastor? Are we talking about bull rider discipleship? I'm talking about discipleship. Because as a believer, guess what you got to learn about? Church life. How to fellowship with God. The Bible. Prayer. These are all elements. These are all elements that make you a disciple. And if you don't learn them, guess what? You won't be a success. If you choose to do things on your own, your own way, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Can I get a better amen? I'm not going to teach you theory about being a disciple. I've proven it. I've walked it out. And I continue to live it out. And I've seen also my leadership as well. And I've learned from them. So I'm just telling you the facts of what the Bible teaches. Aren't you glad again that Jesus will take us under his wing and make us a disciple? Number one, I got a desire to do what? I've got a desire to become like Jesus said. 
So a disciple has to have that desire. Anybody here have that desire? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you got that desire, you're in the right place. Then if I desire that, number two, what do I got to do, number two? Well, to deny self here, I want you to write it down this way. Number two, you got to disown self. You got to disown self. Now, if you think about who you really are, who are you once you're born again, spirit being? Are you brand new? Yep. Are you righteous? Yep. Are you right with God? Yep. Is your spirit perfect? Yep. Is there any aspect of what your spirit has that's not perfect? Nope. Not at all. So when we say deny self, are we talking about the spirit man? No. We're talking about the old selfish fleshly nature. You have to deny that old selfish fleshly nature, even the way it thinks. You can't keep thinking carnal and walk in the benefit of what disciple walks in. Think of this. If you think carnal, when you come up on any given situation like Jesus would have, if you're thinking carnal, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to know what God wants you to do. And the enemy's going to take advantage of what you're looking at, get you fearful, or get you focused on something that you shouldn't be, instead of obviously knowing I got the power and ability to change the situation. And therefore, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. I've given you this testimony before. Cast a demon out of a gal one time at our church on a Wednesday night. We took her in another room. During the service, I had somebody else do the service. Me and another gentleman took her in there. And as we were dealing with her, I had never actually cast a demon out of somebody before that. But I knew I could. Knew I had the authority to do it. I just never done it. And I kept telling that demon to to leave. And you know what it kept telling me? If you've never seen a demon-possessed person, it'll be a wake-up call if you ever do. I know some of you think some people are demon-possessed, but that, just because they're being fleshy don't mean they're demon-possessed. So, so this demon, I mean, it would, this is a girl who would talk just like a you know, girl voice. Not when the demon would talk. Her eyes would roll over, totally change her countenance, and it was a demon. And the demon said, you can't cast me out. I said, yes, I can. I command you to come out in Jesus' name. Well, guess what? It said, I ain't leaving. Well, guess what I did? I made the mistake of saying, yes, you are. And I said it again, and I said it again, I said it again. We went on and on and on like this for about 20, 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, I stepped back and I said, this ain't working right. (laughs) This this is not how Jesus did this. What's going on here, right? So I stepped back and I took time to quiet myself because guess what I was doing? I was just looking at the natural. All I was doing is looking at the natural. It wasn't leaving according to what I saw. So I was going by what I saw. You don't go by what you see. You go what the Bible says. Well, guess what the Bible says about the authority of Jesus? When you speak, demons have to listen. It don't mean they'll do it instantly, but they have to listen. I learned that that night. I I backed up and I said, Jesus, I just can't picture you doing this this way. I just can't. All the pictures I know of you in the Bible casting demons out, you just spoke, that was it. But then I got to thinking. But even when you cast that demon out of that young boy, it didn't instantly leave. It threw him on the ground. He, He walled and foamed at the mouth. Then it left. So it was trying to even mess with you as it did your disciples that night. I said, I'm done messing with this demon. And I said, this is it, man. I, command, I told the, because the guy that was trying to help me, he trying to hold her down. And he, I said, get off her. Just leave her alone. Get off. So he, goes, he said, man, she could go. I said, get off her. I said, it's a demon. He can't harm us. I'm not the sons of Sceva here. I know the authority I have in Jesus' name. Get off her. So he got off. He went and sat down. And I looked at her, actually the demon in her. And I said, in Jesus' name, that's it. I'm done with you. Come out of her now in the name of Jesus. And he said, I'm not coming out. I never said another word. I just backed up. And all of a sudden, within about eh, two minutes, she went like totally dead. Like no, just eyes closed, no movement. All, you know, he almost thought she was, I said, nope, she's fine. Just said, hang on. And so after a while, her eyes opened up, kind of fluttered, and she sat up, and she looked at me, she said, it's gone. 
It's gone. It's gone. Thank you, Jesus. It's gone. And I'm going to tell you, folks, you got to understand this. As a child of God, you can do what Jesus did. But you got to do it his way. Can't go by what you see. I said, you can't go by what you see. You got to go according to what the Bible says and know it in your heart. So denying self is not going by the old fleshly nature. You listening? It's actually disowning that old self, that old fleshly nature. And then number three, what do we do? We take up our cross. What is taking up our, taking up our cross? Number three, we got to take up God's plan for our life. So I got to take up God's plan for my life. What am I doing? Number two, disowning basically self or my will or what I think. I'm going to choose to do God's will instead. And number three, I'm going to do what? Take up God's plan for my life. When he said take up your cross, what was he referring to? Well, what was the cross for Jesus? The will of God. The will of God. Did Jesus deny himself? Yes, he did did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember? Not my will, Father. Your will be done. So see, if he didn't get his will, why should you? You can't be his disciple and get your will. Right? You got to submit yourself totally to the will of the Father and say, hey, guess, let me explain something to you real quick. Can I help you with something? God's will's better. (laughs) You may not think so. You may not think it looks that way, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I'll give you a little hint. I'll give you a little insider information. His will is always better. It's almost never the way you thought. Never. God's ways are not your ways. They're higher. They're much better. So you got to understand this. I, like Jesus, have to deny my will, my old self, that old nature. He didn't have an old fallen nature, but he had to show us the example of denying the will. And then he did what? Carried out the will of the Father. He picked up the plan of God for his life, carried that cross, and went and paid the price for our sin. So what's taking up your cross? Picking up God's plan for your life. Where do you start with picking up, your plan, picking up God's plan for your life? Where's your shepherd? Amen. Where's your shepherd? Because once you find your shepherd, you're now connected with finding God's plan for your life, as we'll see more about tonight. Amen? And then you start carrying out what God has for you. That could be, you know, relating to every aspect of your life, including the issue of raising children as well as a job or business or whatever. I don't want to just do something because I think it's right. I mean, if it's God's will, it'll prevail. God's plans do what? They always succeed, right? Many plans in a man's heart, none of which work in the eyes of God. But guess what? God's plan. What does it do? Prevails. Always succeeds. So three, we got to do what? We got to take up God's plan for our life. And then the last one most people miss out on, and follow me, Jesus said. Now let me explain the last one. Let me explain. So if I've gone through this process, if I, let's say Jesus was here, like in that day, and I come to Jesus, I have a desire to be like him. So I meet the first qualification. I'm willing, like Peter, even if you rebuke me and say, get behind me, Satan, I'm willing to submit my will toward yours. I don't want my will. I want your will. So I'm willing to do that. And in doing so, I'm willing to take up your plan. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm just here to serve you. Right? Now, if I've gotten through all three of those things, how am I now going to be a disciple of Jesus? What are you going to do? Follow him. The word follow means I'm going to become his companion. Guess what we're going to do? Hang out. He's not going to come hang out with me. I'm going to go wherever he goes. I'm going to go hang out with him because I want to become what? His disciple. So the fourth one is very important. To follow him means what? I now become his companion. I become his companion. These are four powerful things to understand about what a disciple is. If you look at it in the natural of what I went through with the bull riding thing, I desired to be like this other guy, Randy Krause, who was a good bull rider. 
To do that, I had to not do things my way because I was messing up. I had to learn to quit doing what I was doing and learn from him how to do it the right way. And therefore take up what was his will of how to do this, showing me how to do it. But to do that, I had to become a companion of his. I had to spend time with him, travel with him, hang out with him, go wherever he went. So if you're going to truly walk as a disciple of Jesus, that fourth one comes right back to the key of discipleship, which is all about what? Relationship. If you're not going to be a companion, if you're not going to get close with Jesus, you're not going to walk as a disciple. You're going to miss out on the benefit of living the kind of life Jesus himself lived that you yourself can live. Aren't you glad? Any good amens on that one? Matthew 18. Turn over a couple chapters, please, to Matthew 18. So I've covered all these things on Sunday. I'm just kind of reiterating those things for you quickly. But now I want to go over tonight four growth stages of the believer. We touched on them. I just talked about them real briefly on Sunday. I'm going to show them to you in the Word. Why do we need to know? I'm going to tell you why. A couple reasons you need to know. One, to make disciples, to be able to do that, you got to know where somebody is in the growth stages. Because here's something important that you got to learn. You don't treat somebody, example, if they're just a baby, baby Christian, you don't treat, treat them like they're a disciple of a mature believer. Because doing so is not going to help them. Right? You still got a diaper on them. You still got you give them the sucky bottle. You still got to obviously pat them on the back, do all these kind of things, burp them once in a while, you know, kind of bring them along. But you know what you also don't do? You don't treat a disciple like a baby Christian. Because if you do that, you're going to wind up doing the same thing. You're going to frustrate them. If they're already a disciple and you're still treating them like a baby and you don't learn to entrust, to them, entrust things to them that they can do, then you're going to continue to stunt their growth. So we got to understand where people are in the growth stages, but also understand where we are. How many know you can backslide? Yes. How many know the Bible says so? Yes. In the New Testament, the Bible says you can actually slide from where you were backwards. And if you have, and you've now recognized, I'm not at the stage that I know I need to be as a disciple, guess what? Then you can know what to do to change that. Matthew 18, the first stage is called the convert stage. Say convert. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Stage one, convert. Four stages of growth of as, as a believer in Christ. Four stages of growth. First one is a convert stage. And you'll see these go right along with natural growth in the context of a human. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about here in verse 3 and 4. Matthew 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 1, read down to that. At the time, notice this, at that time, excuse me, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But Jesus called a little child to him, and he set him in the midst of them. Verse 3, and he said, assuredly, that's an absolute. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are, underline it, converted. This isn't the only place this word comes up in the New Testament, but I want to just show you because I won't have time to go through all the verses. He says, unless you are converted and become what? As little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, therefore whoever what? Humbles himself as this little child. What is he doing? What is he doing? Say it out loud, please. Humbling himself. Say it out loud, please. Notice this, verse 4, whoever humbles himself. That's the same as doing what? Denying self. Giving up your will for his. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven in the eyes of God. Why? Because they're going to rise up to the place of Jesus. Not saying like, but I'm just saying you'll be like him. You're going to become like him. You're going to rise up to this position of who God created you to be. Hallelujah. Amen. So what do we got to do? We got to be converted. Got to become like a little child and be converted. So let me explain what a convert is. According to that word and the definition, here's what a convert is. You ready? Yes. To change or turn. Yes. 
from one habit of life or set of opinions to another. I'll say it again. To change or turn from one habit of life or set of opinions to another. One more time. I am changing or turning from one habit of life or routine of life or lifestyle, what you've normally done, or even set of opinions, what I've thought before, to another. To change or turn from one habit of life or set of opinions to another. So to be converted means, first and foremost, of course, I've got to realize that salvation is available to me, and therefore I must do what? Repent. Repent means to turn from that old sin nature and turn to God. And when you do, you receive salvation of what Christ has done for you by Him alone, and you accept Him as your Lord and Savior into your life, and you become born again. You are now what the Bible, or what Jesus called a convert. You're now a convert in Christ. You've been converted. You've turned from the world and you've turned to Jesus. But you've just begun conversion stage. Because once you're born again, how many of you know that there's some old habits that you were used to, old ways of living that you didn't live out as a quote-unquote non-believer? You're listening that you're supposed to as a believer. When I got born again, now I don't know, some obviously were raised in church, not born again. When I got born again, I wasn't a churchgoer. I never went to church. Unless, unless you went and stayed with grandma. <laughs> you went and stayed at my grandma's house Sunday, you're going to church, man. She was a devout Catholic, but I'm very grateful she knew Jesus. I, it's amazing how after I got born again, I started remembering all these stories my grandma told me about her and the Lord. Jesus appeared to her six years old in her bedroom. I mean, stuff I never even thought of when she told me just kind of went over my head. I didn't even think about it. But after I got born again, I thought, man, I can see now looking back the incredible relationship she had, even though she was still a Catholic because that was her background of upbringing. But guess what she didn't do? She didn't miss church. One thing I'll say about Catholics, they believe in God. Another thing I'll say about Catholics, their doctrines are really messed up. There's a lot of bad doctrines, man-made. I was telling this to a person the other day. What's the difference between Christianity, listen carefully, and every other religion? Let me help you. Christianity is not a religion. That's why I said, what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Everything else is man-made, and it's a religion. It's a form of exercises and things you're supposed to do, none of which gets you to God. None of which helps you to walk with God. If it's man-made, guess what it does? It actually trumps what the Word of God's trying to tell you. Jesus said, you by your traditions make the Word of God of no effect. So religion is nothing more than man-made tradition. But even so, as a, as a person growing up who wasn't a believer, I never went to church other than going to Grandma's house. But guess what happened after I got born again? Guess what I had a desire in my heart to do? Go to church. Guess what became my habit? Guess what became my new habit that wasn't on Sunday morning? Guess what my habit was on Sunday morning before? Sleep in. Guess what my new habit became? Get up. Go to church. Guess what my habit became during our midweek service? Go to midweek service. See, I changed. I converted. Why? Wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. Wanted to be like Jesus. Am I going to get any good amens? You're going to make me preach real long tonight if you don't help me out. So, so realize we're converting from old habits... To a new lifestyle. You didn't get born again to stay the same. If you did, you got born again for the wrong reason. A lot of people sadly have been falsely led into believing. All I need to do is pray a prayer to go to heaven. Most of those people have never gotten born again. Because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, godly sorrow 
in your heart produces, produces repentance, a turnaround, and leads you to salvation. Just having somebody tell you, you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven, don't you? Yeah, well, pray this prayer. That don't mean you have godly sorrow. If there's no godly sorrow, you're not what? You're not born again. You got to have godly sorrow for the sinful nature, sinful life that you had before you knew Jesus. And if you do, you're sorry about it. You don't like it. And you want to get free from it except Jesus. Then guess what? Now you get born again. But once you're born again, what am I going through? Conversion stage. So like the baby, what's the baby going through? Conversion stage. Right now they're on a bottle, right? They're being diapered and taken care of and all that. But they're going to start converting into new habits as they start growing and getting older. How to walk, how to talk, how to do things they didn't do before. You as a believer, going through conversion stage, should start doing what? Having new habits. What else should change? Your mouth. Your words should change. Where you go, who you hang out with, your friends should change. Because if you keep going with the old friends that were sinners and hanging out with them and doing what they did, you listening? I mean, I still came, came to Texas. I still would go to bars after I got born again. I still would. I don't want to get into the whole drinking issue tonight, but I can tell you right now, Jesus didn't go hang out at bars. And he wouldn't today if he was here. And so a friend of mine that was a believer, right? I'm growing in God. I'm still a convert. I'm still converting, right? I'm a new baby Christian, less than a year old believer. And I come to Texas and I meet a guy that actually is a, a Christian who I actually started going to church with. And after we would get done, if we were in town riding here at Mesquite or F- Fort Worth, when we got done with the rodeos on Saturday, whatever we were at, we'd go down to Cowtown, go down to the bars, go hang out at Billy Bob's, go hang out at, at Cowtown, down at the bars down there. And so one night we're there. I hadn't been doing this very long since I've been here, a couple, two, three months. One night, I'm sitting on the bar. I'm leaned up back against the bar, got my Coors Light in my hand, checking out the chicks. And it just dawned on me. I can't picture Jesus doing this. I cannot picture. I'm getting convicted in my heart for being there. I'm like, I can't picture Jesus being in this place, checking out chicks, trying to drink a beer. I just can't picture that. I set the beer on the counter. I looked at my buddy and I said, I'm done with this. I'm done. What? I'm done. This is not, what, this is not the lifestyle of Jesus. I am not going to continue to live this way. Bye. And I walked away. I never, I've never drank alcohol since that day. Amen. And I've never gone back into a bar since that day. Amen. I did. I got back up. I did go to Billy Bob's. We went on a Sunday when they weren't open to do the reunion thing church for Jeff Copenhaver. So I better correct myself so I'm not lying. But I mean, you know, I'm talking about we didn't go like when the bar situation was going on. But understand this. What are you going through, Pastor? Conversion. Conversion. I'm converting. I'm seeing in my heart things that are bothering me. What helps you through conversion? Listen to your spirit, man. He's brand new. And there's things that you got to start changing. Lifestyle habits begin to change. You begin to turn from what you used to do and turn to what becomes now a new lifestyle. I've never turned back from going to church. I've never turned back from reading my Bible and spending time in the Word. I've never turned back from feeding on the Word. Never. Ever since I've converted to these things, I've never turned away from them. Because I know that which has helped me to begin to develop my walk with God is what's going to keep my walk with God strong. And without it, I'm not going to have a strong relationship with Jesus. Right? I could go back. Anybody could. Anybody could. I could go back to doing those old habits. I continued to chew tobacco for years. It bothered me. It bothered me because I knew it was harmful, knew it was detrimental, told God I wanted to be free. That's another whole story in itself. But when God delivered me on a night that he delivered me, guess what? I've never gone back. I could. I could go right back to forcing it on my body, making my body accept it again, and go, but I don't want to. Why? Because I can't see Jesus walking around going, 
Can you? Are you listening? Oh, you're saying I'm going to hell for chewing tobacco? I didn't say that. I'm just telling you, you can be free from that stuff. Can I get a better amen? So realize this. Conversion is walking away from old, simple, fleshly habits of routine things that you obviously know a believer is not going to do anymore. It also includes what? It includes a new set of opinions. So whose opinions am I now going by? Not mine any longer. I'm going by God's. See, I began to learn as a baby convert. Doesn't matter what I think. If Christians would learn this, if Christians would learn this, could, could you imagine if everybody really did this and believed it? You ready? You ready? This is powerful. We don't say it just to say it. Think about this statement. Say, I am who God says I am. What if you really believe that? What if you really believed it? I am, say it again, who God says I am. Think about who God says you are. What if you really believed it? You didn't just say it, but you really believed it. I'm more than a conqueror. Guess what you're going to do? Conquer. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Guess what you're going to do? Walk in victory. I'm not the sick. I'm the healed. Guess what you're going to do? Experience healing. See, what if you started believing you are who God says you are? You have what God says you have. What about you can do? Well, I, I couldn't raise the dead. Yeah, because you believe that in your brain, in your head, not your heart. But you're not saying what God says. God says you can't. God said, go lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. What if you started believing you could do what Jesus does? Any good amens out of this church tonight? So realize conversion isn't just changing of basic things of what we now do to develop as a Christian. What about your thinking? That's huge. I got to get rid of all my opinions of what I think about God. Come on. Church. Are you listening? relationship to other. I got to start taking what God says about it. And I got to ditch my opinion. What are you doing? What are you doing in the process of doing this conversion stage? You ready? You ready? You're denying self. You're denying self. I want to be like Jesus. To convert, I got to do what? Deny that old nature. Deny that old self. And I'm starting to walk towards becoming the next stage of what God wants me to be. Can I get a better amen? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh boy, your neighbors say, I'm glad you came tonight. Turn to him again say, I'm glad I came tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Say convert. So the first stage is conversion stage. Jesus said you must be converted. Get born again and start converting. Turning from and turning to. Turning from and turning to. We didn't pray to get born again to stay the same. We prayed to become like Jesus. That should have been your goal. You should have wanted to be like him. When I found out I could have a relationship with him and be like him, I just, I couldn't believe it. It was like, wow, what a blessing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You with me? Notice this. Paul here writing to the Corinthian church in this second letter said, you are our epistle. Underline it. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You ought to have the whole Verse highlighted or underlined. You are our epistle, writing to the Corinthian church. Paul did. Notice this, written in our hearts. You're in our heart. Known and read by what? All men. Three, clearly you are what? Underline this. You are an epistle of Christ. Just because they're born again? No, I'll explain. He says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered what? By us. What if they hadn't been ministered to by them? They wouldn't have been epistles of Christ yet. But he says, you're our epistle, 
And clearly, therefore, verse 3, an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Notice, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. You've taken to heart the letters that I've written to you. Paul birthed the Corinthian church. After birthing the Corinthian church, him and Barnabas were there for a year and a half. He didn't leave. Why? Somebody's got to, somebody got to pastor him. Somebody's got to teach him the word of God. Somebody's got to show him what to walk in. And until he could raise up a pastor, he can't leave him. But after he raised up a pastor, then he left. And after he left, guess what he got word of? They, this is a very paganistic society. The, one of the largest paganistic societies in that region. I mean, all kinds of sexual sins, you name all kinds of stuff. And he birthed a church in the midst of all this paganistic society. And so it'd be like going to Washington, D.C., I would picture it. And he births a church right there in the midst of this paganistic society. And he raises up a church. So guess what? They got a lot of stuff to learn. A lot of stuff to learn. They're zealous for God, but they're still immature. 1 Corinthians is almost nothing but a corrective letter. He'd already been there a year and a half, say a year and a half. So that letter's being written after he'd already been there a year and a half pastoring him and raised up a pastor and been gone a while. And now he's hearing problems in the church. Even to the degree they're still allowing sexual sins within the church. Within the church. You listening? There was a guy whose dad had remarried and they're both sleeping with his wife. And they weren't dealing with it. And Paul brought it up in a letter. How would you like to have been in the midst of that church and had that come to the church? Huh? You're written in the letter. Well, you going to deal with this guy or not? You shouldn't allow this to go on. Everybody knows what's going on. You should address it. You should deal with it. Well, he might leave the church. Okay. So what? You're, you're supposed to just let it go on? No. Not when it was public knowledge with everybody. So he writes this corrective letter in 1 Corinthians. And guess what they did? They responded. They responded. You know what that first letter was? Guess what the word letter is? Epistle. Guess what the word epistle means? You ready? Stage two, an epistle is what? A living letter. Living letter. The, stage, the second, uh, second stage of growth for the believer is an epistle, which is not a physical letter. It's what? A living letter. Coming from what? A physical letter. So you become what? A living letter. So what the Corinthians did after the first letter is they made corrections. And now he writes this second letter in commendation and he says, guess what? You listened to what I had to say. You've now become our epistle and therefore an epistle of Christ. As I have ministered to you through that letter, you've received it and lived it out. And guess what? Now you're looking like what I have corrected you on and walking in what I told you to walk in. So you're not just a living letter. You're read by all men. They don't even have to read the letter I wrote to you. All they got to do is look at you. Amen. Come on, somebody. What are the epistles of the Bible? If you don't know, get it down. The epistles of the Bible are not the Gospels. It's Romans to Revelation. Those are letters. Those are all letters written to who? Who are they written to? The Me and you. Yes. Me and you, the church. These were all God-inspired letters written to the body of Christ, the church. We still need the Gospels and the rest of the Old Testament in light of the New. It doesn't mean we ditch the rest of the Bible, and it doesn't mean whatever said in the Old Testament doesn't go. No. No, but what we got to understand is who are we? Who are we? So in the process of becoming a disciple, I have to, number one, desire to be like Jesus. Number two, I got to what? Disown myself. And then number three, I got to do what? Take up his will. 
How do I start knowing that? Knowing who you are. Where does this come from? Renewal of the mind. What are you renewing your mind to? The epistles. Romans to Revelation. You would have no idea who you are in Christ if you didn't have those letters. The gospels don't tell you who you are in Christ. The gospels tell you what Jesus did. Gospels gave you an example of how to live according to what Jesus did. But they don't tell you who you are. You listening? Romans to Revelation tells you who you are. I'm working on a devotional because I can't find one called In Him Devotional. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scriptures in the New Testament that say who you are in Him, in whom, in Christ. These are all who you are. Here's one of my favorites. You ready? Are you ready? You're a new creation in Christ. The old man passed away. Behold, the new man has come. Guess what? There's a new man on the inside of you. So you got to start renewing your mind to this new man, to the epistles, to the letters. What you've got to do is not only spend time in those letters, but stay in church where they teach them so you can receive understanding of who you are, what you have, and what you're called to do. That also has to include what? Correction. Because without correction, you're not going to start walking in the light of this new man. To know the Bible alone and to not walk in the light of who God says you are by faith is not going to transform your life. I'll say that again. To know the Bible alone, but to not walk in it by faith as to who it says you are will not change your life. It's a doer of the word that's not deceived. It's a doer of the word that is blessed. When you learn who you are, you start acting like it. You're not doing it to try to do something outwardly. That's who you are. What are you doing? You're yielding to the new man on the inside. When the Bible tells you to forgive, guess what you do? You know why? Because love's in you to forgive. You don't do what you want to do. Why? You're a disciple. You deny the old flesh that wants to punch and and respond back physically. And you choose instead to do what? What the Bible said. You have to act on the word. Your mind, I love the fact that Brother Hagin brought this truth out. Your mind is not fully renewed until you start acting on the word. Renewal of the mind is not just head knowledge. Renewal of the mind is actually living it out as a believer. Any amens on that? You're not fully renewed in your mind until you start acting upon who God says you are, what God says you have, and what God says you can do. So I've told you this many times, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. In presenting my body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, what am I doing? What am I actually doing when I'm presenting my body wholly acceptable to God? Number two, you're denying self. You're denying the old will and the old wants. You listening? All these verses tie together. They all tie together because the goal is to be a disciple. And then Romans, uh, Romans 12, 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That you'll prove what is the good. 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 And acceptable will of God. What's good for you? Amen? How do you do that? Renewal of the mind. This has been my question for years. Don't, don't watch it. Don't answer it because you're going to embarrass yourself again if you do. So what do I renew my mind to, Pastor? Everybody just says the word. Okay, so go to Job and renew your mind to Job. That won't help you. What do I renew my mind to? Who I now am in Christ. This is why, second stage epistle, you need the epistles. This is why you need to be in a church that focuses on them. This is why you as a believer need to focus on them. Because until you learn who you are, you can't fully convert to the disciple stage. You can't become something you don't know you are. You can't become a disciple when you don't know who you are in Christ. 
So you have to do what? Stay in the epistles, stay under the teaching of the epistles, and do what? Put into practice who the Bible says you are. Act upon them because that's what God says you are. Act upon them because that's what God says you have. Hallelujah. Act upon them because that's what God said you can do. I want to close with this. I'm out of time and I'll pick this back up on Sunday and we'll get through the rest of these, but I need to get this in here real quick. Go to James. I'll show you this. Book of James. I'm not going to hurt you this series. I want everybody to understand fully where you are, even if you already are a disciple and or have become one in the past, we need to fully understand where we are in Christ. Go to the book of James for just a moment, if you would, chapter 1, book of James chapter 1. So what are we talking about right now? We're talking about what? Epistle stage. What's an epistle? Renewing my mind to the letters of Romans to Revelation. I want to get that across. What's an epistle? A living letter. How do you do that? Renewing my mind from Romans to Revelation. Finding out who I am, what I have, what I can do. Renewing of the mind is not just getting head knowledge of what the Bible says. You got to put it into practice. You're not going to fully have a renewed mind until you put into practice what the Bible says. You already are. All you're doing is you're acting out what's on the inside of you, the guy that's really there. That's right. And you're denying what? The flesh. Yes. So you're changing from the inside out. But James will tell you this. You with me? Watch this, James chapter 121. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. So this is just coming up over and over and over again in the Bible. What would, being, what would it mean to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness? What would it be? Denying. Number two, you're denying self. You're choosing to not do what is your will, the old nature's will. What's your old nature's will? Filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Why? Nothing good that dwells in the flesh. What are you choosing to do? Lay that aside. If you lay it aside, what are you doing? You're fulfilling number two of a disciple. You're still with me, aren't you? You're denying the old nature. Notice what he said to do. And you got to do what? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to do what? Save your soul. Your soul's not saved. Your soul's mind, will, and emotions. Your spirit got saved. He's brand new. What do I got to do? Get my soul saved. Delivered from what? The old way of thinking. Part of conversion to now looking to the epistles to become what? A living letter. As I begin to become a living letter, what do I start walking out? You start stepping into the third stage of a disciple, third, third process of a disciple, which is now doing what? Taking up my cross. Starting to walk out God's plan, God's will for my life by living out the letters of the New Testament. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Why does he say receive with meekness the implanted word? I'm going to tell you why. Because if you allow your reasoning to cause you to look at the scriptures as to whether you believe what it says about you or not, you won't accept it. To receive it with meekness means I don't care what my flesh says. I don't care what my brain says. Hey, I don't care what my family's told me. I don't care what my friends have told me. If the Bible said this, that's what I believe. That's what I go by. So that's receiving the word of God with meekness, which will then do what? Get implanted in you. 20, are you still with me? 22, notice, but be what? Doers of the word. So a doer of the word is not somebody who's trying to change outwardly. They're choosing to learn who they are from the epistles and start doing what? Walk in the light of it because that's who you are. What happens when you start walking in the light of who the word says you are? Your spirit man starts dominating. Your spirit man starts coming to the forefront, the real you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Watch this, watch this. Deceiving who? Tell me out loud, please. 
So how do you become self-deceived? You learn who the Bible says you are, what you have and what you can do, but you won't do it. If you don't do it, guess what you do? You deceive your own self because you're not walking in the light of the new you. You're deceiving yourself. You're saying, oh, I can't do that because I'm still this. That's a deception. That's, de- that's deception. That's a lie. That's a lie. Oh, I can't lay hands on the sick. I, I can't do that. That's a lie. The Bible told you you could. But until you start taking the word of God, the epistles, come on, renewing your mind and acting upon them. If you're not a doer of the word, what are you doing? You're deceiving yourself. You don't even need the devil's help. 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, what's he like? Watch this, watch this. He's like this man observing his natural face in the mirror. Like, like a man who sees his natural face. When you look to the word, you're not seeing your natural man. When you look to the epistles of who you now are, who you're seeing, the new guy on the inside. But when you see him, what happens if you're not a doer of the word? Well, like a guy who looks at his natural face in the mirror, but notice he is not a doer, verse 24, he observes himself, but he goes away and he immediately forgets what? He forgets what kind of man he was. You know why most Christians don't walk in the light of who they are beyond a sermon they've heard from their pastor? Because they don't put application to who the Bible says they are. And if you don't put application, guess what happens when you walk away from seeing it in the Bible yourself or hearing it preached? What happens when you walk away? You forget. You forget. You forget what kind of man you are. You have no such confidence in who the Bible says you are. Why? You didn't put it into practice. You didn't start acting on it. You still with me? Look at this, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, what's the law of liberty? God's word. It's a spiritual law. It's not like a law you got to obey it or else. No, it's a spiritual law. Meaning what? It does exactly what it says. It produces faith. It causes you to do what? It causes you to be healed. It's medicine to your flesh. It's all these things that God says it is. So when you look into the perfect law, God's word of what? What is it? Liberty. Guess what doing the scriptures teach you as a believer that you are what you have and what you can do. Guess what it does? It liberates you. What's it liberating you? From that old nature. Not only that, but also liberating you from what? Deception. Lies and the work of Satan. Because you're walking in the new man. You still with me? If you look into this perfect law, say it's perfect. Perfect law of liberty. No, you're not going to make it better than it is. It's already perfect. You don't need to add to it. Notice, if you look into this perfect law of liberty, continue in it, and you're not a forgetful here, but a what? Underline it, please. It's not a cuss word. A doer of what? The work. What are you doing? Spiritual work. This isn't physical work. This is spiritual work. Because what are you learning? Who I am as a spirit being. And as I practice walking in that, what am I learning to do? Walk in the new man. I'm letting my spirit start to come to the forefront. I'm letting my spirit start to dominate. The Bible's clear. Forgive everybody. What if I don't want to? Then you choose to walk in the old nature, the old flesh, and you won't walk in the victory God has for you. You understand unforgiveness is like you taking a glass of poison, drinking it, expecting it's going to hurt them. No, 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 no. It's going to kill you. God knows it. I said, God knows it. So if I choose to not forget, why well, just don't think I can forgive? No, that's not what the Bible said. So you're not going by what the Bible said. You want to know the first fruit of your recreated human spirit? It ain't your love. It's God's love. What was God able to do? Forgive everybody. What did Jesus do on the cross? Forgive these guys. They don't even know what they're doing. That love's in you. That love's in you. That love's who you are. 
I said, that loves who you are. You can't say you don't know how to forgive. Well, you can, but if you keep saying you don't know how to forgive, guess what you're not doing? Number two, you're not denying the old nature. Number three, you're not picking up God's will and walking it out. So guess what you're not going to do? Have companionship with Jesus and walk like him. But you can. I said you can. So I have to choose to start going to these letters as well as being taught these letters and learning them and do what? Put them into practice. If I again, verse 25, look into this perfect law of liberty and I continue in it, I'm not a forgetful here but a doer of the work. What will I be? What will I be? This one will be blessed in what he does. What will he be? Anybody want the blessing of God to manifest in your life? It won't manifest the way you think it's going to work. By doing what you want to do, it's going to manifest by you walking in the light of who you are as a new child of God. This is why we make our confession. I am who God says I am. I I say it to try to get you guys to wake up to it at some point in your life to realize when you say it, I want you to believe it. I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. I'm not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer. Therefore, I am blessed. But you're not if you're not a doer. If you're a doer of the New Testament word, what are you doing? You're walking in the new nature. You've picked up God's will for your life. You're a companion of Jesus, and you're going to live like Jesus. Thank you for your amends about that. So so notice again, he says, clearly, if you walk in the light of being a doer of the word, this one will be what? Blessed. Blessed what he does. 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious... Or like he's walking where he needs to be with God, but he doesn't deal with his mouth. He doesn't bridle his tongue, but he deceives what? What does he deceive? His own heart. This one's what? Religion. What he's doing is useless. So what's he saying there? Your words are just as important as your actions because they're part of your actions. What you say is an action. I say what you say is an action. And if you keep speaking contrary to God's word, guess what you're doing? You're also deceiving your heart. So he just told you two ways you deceive yourself here. By hearing what the Bible says in the epistles. What if I never go? Then you're never even going to get where God wants you to go. But if I renew my mind to the epistles and I start walking in the light of who God says I am as a child of God and I even confess in line with that, I'm a blessed man, blessed woman. I'm a blessed child of God. Why? Walking like Jesus. How could you walk like Jesus and not be blessed? I said, how could you walk like Jesus and not be blessed? Hallelujah. Well, Sunday we'll touch on the other two. But let's remind ourselves of these first two. Convert, epistle. What's a convert? One who turns from old habits, old opinions to new ways. What am I turning to? Who the Bible says I now am. And what I got to do as a child of God to develop and grow that new man. To develop and grow that new man ain't going to happen by ditching church, by not fellowshipping with God in the Word. Now, you can come to church and do it wrong. You can come sit in church and get nothing out of it. But if you come to hear who you are, what you have in God, what you can do in God, receive that, and start putting application to it, it'll change your life. I said, it'll change your life. You got to learn to fellowship with God through the Word. Don't know how to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're a guy in this church, come this Friday, and you'll learn how. Because that's what I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you how to fellowship with God in the Word. God's Word is God speaking to you. You open your Bible, God's talking to you whether you know it or not. You just may, you just may not be listening. But you can learn to. I said you can learn to. Here's what it all comes down to. Isn't it wonderful to know that I can live a life like Jesus? So let me close with this. 
Uh, I didn't get to get there tonight. We'll look at it Sunday. Does anybody know where the word Christian came from? Do you know where that word came from? Where did it come from, though? It does mean Christ. Where did it come from? Anybody know? It came in the book of Acts, ninth chapter, first time the term was ever used, was by the people in Antioch who literally saw the hand of the Lord, the Bible says, on the disciples, not just one or two, on the disciples. The hand of the Lord on them means they were doing what Jesus had been doing, laying hands on the sick, casting out demons, preaching the gospel. And these people in Antioch labeled them Christians. First time the word was ever used. You know how many people in our country say they're a Christian and look nothing like Jesus, sound nothing like Jesus, live nothing like Jesus? There is no verse in all the Bible anywhere that says you're a Christian because you're born, you're born again. What happens if you're born again? You're a convert. You've been converted from sin to a new life that you can walk out with God. But it didn't say you're a Christian. Guess what a Christian is? You ready? A disciple. It tells you in Acts chapter 9, the first time the disciples were ever called Christians was in Antioch. It's like right around 923. So realize this, guys, that you got to know to be a true Christian means to be what? A disciple. If I'm a disciple, guess what you are? You're a Christian. Why? You're doing. You're living the life Jesus lived. That's the goal. I said, that's the goal. The goal was not to get born again, hear sermons, and go to heaven. I'd like some better amens than that. The goal was not to get born again, sit in church, be bored, hear sermons, and go to heaven. Show up once in a while, feel like I get a little feel good, and then just go about my life. No. The goal of getting born again was to do what? Total transformation of lifestyle. From inside to outside. To look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, walk like Jesus. The disciples proved it because the people in Antioch, noticing them, looking just like Jesus, doing what he did, said, guess what? These are Christians. You know what they said? These are those little Christ men. What's Christ mean? Anointed. Messiah. They're doing what that Messiah did. They look just like him. They sound like him. They act like him. These are those little Christ men. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? When you become a disciple, they'll say the same thing about you. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.